Morning. I tell you, it's a good day. It's always a good day because Jesus is alive, and that's something that it's good to wake up to every morning. You know, you wake up to a lot of bad news, but we wake up really to the best news. Jesus is alive, and, and he's good, and he's good, and God is good, and that is enough. Well, as as you know, I like to encourage you guys to uh, read the Word of God. So I encourage you to read uh, Psalms thirteen. Verses 5 and 6 today, in light of today's message, and, and really just in summary of that psalm, Psalm 13, verses 5 and, and verse 6, it basically just says, Jesus is your everything. That, that's basically what that's saying. So let me encourage you to, to read that. Um, along, too, uh, with your encouraging guys to pray with each other, pray for people. Hopefully you're praying with someone, and if you haven't, just start today, start tomorrow, start as soon as you can, because really prayer is a wonderful blessing to, to run to. And, and lastly here, I always like to encourage you to, to, maybe in your time of prayer, maybe there's someone you can speak to about the Lord, talking about, because you're free. So maybe you can talk to someone about that freedom, how they too can be free, or encourage someone how to be free. Um, and you can do that. You have these little tracks right in the back. I encourage you to take one. They're over to your right as soon as you walk through uh, the, those doors. And here is that vacation Bible, school, uh, vacation Bible School flyer that you can hand out. I encourage you to do that. So let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you have done for us. God, you are so good. Um, and God, you are so good and we are so not. And, and yet you love us anyways. We ask now, Lord, that you take these, the, the scripture, you take the, the words, Lord, and, and, and place them upon our heart and minds. God, if there's anything going on with us, Lord, that we're holding on to, we pray that we could just let it go. Let it go and just let you just fill us with, you, with your spirit even more than you have. And, and to help us realize that you've been with us the whole time. Even though many times, Lord, we think we're alone. Remind us that we are not, that you love us as your children. Lord, there's much going on in this world today uh, that we see, and, and sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the chaos, to get caught up in the anger or the worry or the fear. God, and, and sometimes we don't even have to turn on the TV. We could just deal with our own family situations, our own personal lives. We can get caught up in stuff. Lord, open, open us to, to see your hand at work, to see that you have not abandoned us. Help us to know that you are with us and to know you love us so we can stop focusing on us and focus on you. And God, all those churches that are meeting in whatever capacity around the world and the missionaries and the Christians that are under oppressive governments, Lord, where they can't meet openly like this, God, remind them that we are praying for them and that you love them, Lord. We remind us that we're all in this together for the one great purpose of declaring your gospel of freedom to all the world. And Lord, I pray that we too can be a people that do such a thing to talk about this freedom we have in Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The, you know, the the, the gospel that we talk about so much here, the gospel says that Christ has, has finished it all for us. You know, that upon the cross, right, that's why we look to the cross all the time. Upon the cross, when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. You know, Jesus has come and accomplished his mission 
to set the captives, captives free, such as you and I, by faith in him. To set us free. And, and now in Christ, we are free in this world. Because the gospel says that Jesus Christ, everything that we need and everything that really matters is found in him. And I know, I mean, I, I know it sounds like pie in the sky or wishful thinking when we say that. You know, it's a, you know Jesus is our everything. Because, I mean, let, let's be honest. You know, it sounds too good to be true, especially when you look out amongst the world and deal with your daily troubles. But that's, but that's just it. The gospel message is so good that the world is doing everything it can to convince you that it can't be true. Because this news is good news. It says that God, the the Holy Almighty One, who is in need of nothing, had His heart set upon you and I to save us from our sins and save us from facing His just wrath because of them. That God looked upon this world who turned their back upon him, who said they want nothing to do with him, and has done everything seemingly possible to flee from him and acknowledging him and being grateful to him. This God, out of his loving grace for these sinners who abandoned him, God, out of his love, sent his son to die in their place so that through faith in Jesus Christ they could be saved. So that we could be saved. I'm talking about us. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He never had an evil attitude, never had an evil thought, never did anything wrong, but only did everything right. He never broke a single law of God, unlike us who break all of them. And if you think you don't, yeah, let's talk. Christ came to save us. Christ came and did what we could never do and could never earn. He came to earn salvation for us all through faith in him. He came to justify sinners, you and me, who according to God's standards, not man's standards or your mom's standards that she set, you know, all those chores, but according to God's standards, according to his laws, We are failures, we are weak, we're selfish, we're no good rebellious sinners, lawbreakers, repeat lawbreakers, if you will. God came to justify those people, you and me, redeem us, so you and I can have a relationship with God. Christ came to give up his life for us by taking the full wrath and penalty we deserve because of what we have done before God and to others in this world that we should be thrown eternity in hell for. For God demands perfection for salvation, not progression, not a getting better at things for salvation. No, to be right before God, we have to be and must be perfect. And when we look to the law of God, when you look to His Word, we see that left to ourselves, we're doomed. But our God, out of his love for you and I, sent Jesus Christ, who out of his love came and took our hell upon the cross so that in return we can be granted forgiveness and peace and be completely justified before God right now and forever, all by faith alone in him. 
so that we can experience his peace, his favor, and his blessings and love upon us. To have everything now work for our good in him, no matter how much the world rips away from us. No matter how much our bodies break down. We now, through faith in Christ, can say, by his grace we are free. Because of his grace, his grace is enough. And, it's, and his grace is greater than our sin and is greater than this world. For our sins are no longer held against us. For his wrath has been fully removed from us. Death is now on our side, not because of anything we have done or can do, but solely because of Jesus. This is good news. Jesus has earned everything for us to be right with God, to stay right with God by faith alone in him. We are free from doing things now to earn anything from God. All the earning has been done perfectly in Christ. His perfect, perfect obedience to the law has, has now been legally attributed to us by faith in him. So we no longer have to be exhausted by our past sins, burdened with our present sins, or distressed about our future sins in thinking that God is going to abandon us or become angry with us or remove his love and blessing from us. No, we now by faith in Christ have all of these things. This gospel is remarkable because it's absolutely true. That now through faith in Christ, you are free to do anything and it will not affect God's love over you. For for that is what the grace of God is over us. Grace is undeserved. It's not earned, but only received through faith in Jesus Christ. And this gospel is truly freeing then. Because it frees you from looking to and focusing on self and frees you to looking to and focusing on Jesus and seeing him as your everything. And this, in turn, will have major consequences in our life, how how we live in this world by faith in Jesus. When we live by grace through faith in Jesus... Direct outcomes will naturally come about that will affect everything in all of our interactions and it will affect everything in our, in our relationships and affect everything about us as we go in this world looking to Jesus. Just, just for example, as a sponge that comes in contact with water expands and, and ceases to be dry but starts to reflect the water that fills it as a consequence So too, as it is with us, when we come in contact with God's grace in our life through faith in Christ, the consequence is that we begin to reflect the grace of God in our life. Because it changes us. It's just a consequence. And this is what Paul has been going over in Ephesians chapter 4. What living by grace begins to look like in our life. Paul is now explaining how God's grace is working in us and through us. Or put simply, Paul is revealing to us what we have been freed from and freed to, all by faith in Christ. What a free person in Jesus Christ looks like. And here in our text of today, of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Paul is going to reveal what a free person in Christ, what a free person looks like in our relationships. That's the context. 
So our title today is Jesus Brings Freedom to Our Relationships. So let's look at the text. Verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath... He enables us to not repay evil for evil. So if you look closely, notice the words, Let and be put away from you. Let and be put away. Now why would I draw your attention to that? Well, it means that these sins that he spoke about, if we're honest with ourselves... They are sins here that when things go wrong in our life, or not according to plan, especially when we're dealing with people who interact with us, who are rude or inconsiderate or hurt us deliberately, these are the sins we run to instead of Jesus. We run to these sins and unpack them. We pick them up and we hold on to them instead of running and raising our empty hands of faith to Christ to see how he has freed us from them. See, these words are are passive. Paul is saying, let these sinful characteristics be put away from you. Christ, by his death and resurrection, has victoriously removed the power of them from you so you can stop going back to them. Paul's saying here, these sins will bring you no good. They will bring you no hope. They will bring you no peace. They will bring nothing of worth to you. Just empty promises that will lead you deeper and deeper into more sins and burdens and enslaving you in your life. And when you take a moment, okay, when you take a moment and, and you think what's being said here, and, and, and more specifically, when you think of who this is being stated to, this verse comes out like a, a little bit of a shock, or at least it should. Because the context, this whole book of Ephesians, is Paul telling both Jews and Gentiles to get along with each other now as believers, as the one people of God. These sins listed here are issues that these believers, okay, I'm going to say, these believers are struggling with amongst each other. So on a side note, have you ever thought, like, man, I wish I could go back to New Testament times and experience the church. You know, I, I just think church life was probably so much better back then. You know, they were all unified back then, and they didn't have any hot-button issues. You know, they were just jolly with each other. They never rubbed each other the wrong way. You know, I'm sure everybody was just so happy. Well, that's a false picture. Because from this passage alone, they are just as much messed-up sinners as we are now. And they are just as much in need of God's grace just as we are now in our own times with our own issues. But that's besides the point. The main idea here is they, as with us, Paul is saying that the fight in this life, if you will, is not with the people around us who hurt us, but the fight is with yourself and how you respond to such sins and injustices and pains done to us. The fight of faith to keep your eyes on Jesus through it all and see Jesus as your everything and your freedom now. And to look to him and him alone to fully fulfill all your needs. 
to fully fulfill all your respect and peace and hope and strength and dignity and rescue what you're, and, and all that that you're looking for to find it in him and not find those things in the people around you ultimately. I mean, it's great if you respect me. But that's, I don't look to you for respect. I look to Christ to find that. You know, to see him as the one who protects your reputation, protects your honor, protects everything about you. To see him as the one who gives you true freedom. To s- well, remember, the, the direct context here that we're dealing with is in letting these sins, right, be put away from us. The direct context is church life, which is crazy. But church life, right? That's the context. But, you know, it also plays out in our personal lives as well. You don't just say, well, I get to be happy with people in the church, but angry at everyone else. See, it does say all twice in this verse, meaning every type of form of these sins in our life, wherever they are in your life, ultimately. Paul then here then proceeds to reveal all those sins we're all called to turn away from and turn to Jesus with in reminder that we're free from them. So the first one he speaks about is let bitterness be removed. You know what he means? He means stop having this resentment towards people. Stop having this self-pity and blaming others because of what they have done to you in the past or recently. Let it go. Don't nurse it. Stop persisting in the sourness of your soul towards them, in your heart, and in your mind, and in your verbal communication. Stop constantly nitpicking and seeing only their worst imperfections. Stop being so cold in your heart, in your words, and in your actions towards them. That also applies to people you have not met who are on TV. He also then says, let wrath be removed. Meaning, don't resort to outbursts of anger when you are wronged, when you don't get your way. Don't let uncontrolled anger burst forth as a way to intimidate the people around you, to force your way through. And in in connection with this, he then adds anger to the list to be put away from us. And, And wrath and anger here are very closely related. But anger, I guess, would be more of having an angry state of mind and heart towards someone where you're just looking over and over for ways to inflict vengeance upon them by your attitude towards them in person or in your heart. Paul says, let the anger go towards them. It doesn't do you any good. This also applies to those people who have not met in person but seen on TV. He also then continues and says, let clamor be put away. He's not talking about clams. You're like, oh, I don't need that seafood anymore. No, clamor is yelling out of anger. Yelling because of rage. He's not saying all yelling. He's saying there's a reason for the yelling. The rage in your heart towards someone or anyone Yelling because of rage is a sin, no matter who they are 
or what they have done, shouting at someone because of an offense towards you is considered sin. And it's no part of the Christian life. In church, out in the world, or in the home. Anywhere. Because of anger. Nor does slander, which Paul also says needs to be put away from us, which is basically speaking any abusive speech of any kind or put-downs to anyone. It is lying about someone or false speech about someone as to ruin their reputation or mess with their mind or, their, or ruin their character because they hurt you and you want to justify yourself and make yourself feel better. Or simply because you don't like them or you disagree with them. So you slander them with things you don't even know that are true at all. That also applies to people on TV that you never met. And lastly, Paul here basically sums up all these things with the word and phrase that kind of is an all-inclusive word that really defines everything we just went over that needs to be put away from us. That's malice which means any wretchedness, badness, or evil be put away from you. Remember the context. Right? Remember the context of what he's speaking about, who he's speaking to, and the issue. He's tell- Paul is saying, in a nutshell, to the believers, <laughs> stop being evil towards each other. Or really anyone, right? Making it a little bit bigger. Stop being evil to anyone in person or in your heart or in your mind. Paul here says, let these sins, these evils be put away from you now, for you are a free person in Christ and you have no need for any of this. None of these things come from faith in Christ. None of this is you looking to Jesus by faith. No, these sins come from your evil heart that God is changing. For all of these things have one thing in common. They make life all about you rather than Jesus. And that's what sin does. And Paul has stated over and over again, we have been freed from ourselves and freed to Christ. And these sins are quite convicting because I know that some of these, really in some regard, I guess all of them, I struggle with currently. There are people in my life who I am bitter and angry towards. I like to think I'm not because I just don't think about them at all. And that's just me hiding my anger and bitterness. That's me not letting the sin be removed. That's me, in my my power, removing the person by cutting them out of my life with no way back in. And if I'm honest... Even as your pastor, I even need to let sins such as these go to be put away from me and not just hold on to them hidden within me. But it's also quite encouraging then to see this list of what the Ephesians are struggling with because it gives me hope that such sins as these can be put away by looking to Jesus. 
It gives me hope because even though they too struggled like me, they were not abandoned by God but still loved his beloved children even though they were failing him every day like I do. So this gives me hope that God's grace is greater than my sin. Paul is not threatening these people or us that God's going to leave us because of our sins. Rather, he is encouraging them and us all the more to look to Christ because of our sins so that we can let go of our sins or let our sins be put away from us. So let me be blunt. So we're all on the same track. So you can understand how gracious and how unconditional God's love is towards us now through faith in Christ. Understand that these people's evil towards each other and others did not mess up or hinder God's grace and love towards them. Why? Because of what Christ did for them through faith in him. And guess what? That means it's the same for me and the same for you. God's grace is greater than our sins. He loves us sinners. For our relationship with God, or more specifically, his relationship towards us, is not dependent upon our performance before him in our do's and don'ts before him, but in Christ's performance on our behalf through faith in him alone. We are fully restored to God now and have peace and freedom in him right now so we can rest in Jesus. And again, it is important to really look at this text because understand this. Paul is not saying to you that you have to remove all these sins from yourself. Paul is not saying you have to muster up extraordinary strength to do this. Because remember, the passage, it says, let these sins be removed from you by Christ himself. Paul is saying, let him, if we were being blunt with it, let him put away these sins from you. Let him do his work within you and stop fighting him by putting yourself at the center of everything instead of Christ. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking within and rather look out to Christ. Lean into Christ more and more by faith alone. Become more dependent upon him and less dependent upon yourself for he is working in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't fix yourself in the first place, and so don't think you can fix yourself now. But rather look to Christ to put away these sins in you, for he has you in his hand by faith now in him. So open yourself up to him through faith and stop closing yourself off to him in these different areas of life, which is why he says in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this brings us to our second and last point. He enables us to only repay evil with good. And it's important to point something out here when you look at this passage. So we can understand what Paul's getting at in the greater context. The word here, be, means become in the Greek. So Paul is saying, become what you are in Christ Live as the free person you are by faith in Jesus now. So in a sense, he says, sure, say no to sin. But don't just stop there. Because again, Paul is not promoting moralism. Rather, more directly, Paul is saying, say yes to Christ, for that in and of itself is your no to sin. 
Right? Stop trying to do it in your power. Look to him. For Paul is promoting faith in Jesus alone and his works on your behalf to fix things, not you. For by saying yes to Jesus in any situation of life will automatically lead you away from the sins he has forgiven you for. So the power to put away sin in our life and not be overcome by the temptation then comes from remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done. For Paul has said in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For we become what we are in Christ by looking to him by faith alone. Christ enables us in our relationships then to be kind to each other. Meaning not being harsh or sharp, but to have these desires to do good, whether by word or deed towards each other, even though the other person may do evil in return. When we look to Christ, he enables us to be tender-hearted, meaning that our hearts are moved when we see others' difficulties in life, especially when they sin against you. So rather than just seeing the sin as a reason for a fight... Instead, you have a sorrow and pity for them, for you know they are really struggling with sin. And you see they are a sinner just like you. And you're able to sympathize sympathize with their weakness. So rather than rebelling against them with the sins listed above, right, anger, wrath, malice, yelling, you try to understand the real problem and have a true concern for their well-being in the situation. And you end up looking for a way to seek what will bring them benefit rather than your own. For you place them first above yourself, for your heart towards them is, not, is now, now not hard, but tender. There is a love for them, which wants the best for them. When we look to Christ, we forgive each other when we have been sinned against. So you know what that means? It, it means that we know we've been wronged. We know the evil that has been done to us. But we don't hold that evil or sin against them in, in our interaction with them, even if they don't want to be restored to us. We're always willing and ready for restoration with them because we've forgiven them. Now, I know some of you at this point, at least I know as with myself, are probably saying, how, in, how on earth are we to do all these things? How or, or even how far or how much does being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving go to those around us? In the first place, And Paul gives the answer. He says, just as God and Christ forgives you. And really, that last phrase should crush us. Crush any sense of self-hope to do these things in your own power. For when we think about how truly forgiving and gracious and kind and tender-hearted God is towards us, even with our current evils in our own life, I mean... Just, just that one list alone that we read in verse 31 of sins, we're guilty. And then with this list of what we're called to do, it's brutal. Because we know we have failed at such things, if we're honest with, oursel- with ourselves, and we know we will fail at such things. For truly, his love, his grace, his kindness, and forgiveness towards us, it's unconditional. And this should drive us to the ground to see our desperation if left to ourselves to do this all on our own. Because you know and I know that our love and kindness and tenderness and forgiveness is not unconditional like God's is. 
There are things that even those closest to you where you will say, that's it. I don't care how much you love them. And that's the point that Paul here wants us to understand. He wants us to be driven to the ground so that we can be fully dependent upon the grace of God to do these things within us through faith in Christ alone. He wants us to see that we have to rest upon Christ and His promises to do such things so that we stop foolishly and vainly and exhaustingly relying upon ourselves to accomplish this. He wants us to give up and say, God, only you can do this. And when you finally give up in that relationship with whatever it may be, and say, Lord, you take it. When we look again then at what this verse says, when it says, as God and Christ forgives you, then this becomes our only source of hope, power, and strength. For we remember the gospel then, that our God knew how we would fail. He knew how these Ephesians would fail. And yet he stays with them and he stays with us and gives us more and more grace. And the proof of all of this is the cross of Jesus Christ, which shows his full unconditional love towards us sinners. And this becomes our motivation then to become kind in moments where kindness is not deserved. For our God is always kind with us when we don't deserve it. We become tender-hearted when our hearts should turn away. For our God keeps his gracious, loving heart open towards us to seek our good when we don't deserve it. We become forgiven when we should, be, when we should condemn because our God condemned his son in our place so that we can be forgiven even though we don't deserve it. And though our lives can never earn his grace, our lives through faith in Christ then will reflect his grace to ourselves and to the others as we dwell and look upon his grace. For in Christ we have been freed through faith in him. And we have everything now then. And we no longer need to look to others to give us anything in return. That's not a driving force. Rather, what has been done is our driving force. And rather, we can, give our, we, can, we can give ourselves away now to others, for our focus is not on self-improvement or bettering ourselves, but on Christ's finished work on our behalf. And, and through that, relying upon Him and His promises, our sins will be put away from us, and we will end up kindly serving each other and forgiving each other and being tender-hearted towards each other and undeservedly doing all of this even to those who are not part of the church, serving them too. All by his grace alone. So I leave you with this one quote that kind of sums up everything I think said today in the context of the church. You know, about Jesus brings freedom to our relationships. This one person said, and definitely in regards to the church, the local church, the local churches are at their best when they realize that they are a company of broken people in need of grace, helping other broken people in need of grace. So let us go to the Lord then in prayer and ask him to remind us that we are just a broken people who he's working with and that 
He uses us to bring grace to each other and to those in the world. Heavenly Father, we come before you asking, Lord, that you remind us that we are not strong enough in ourselves to fix the relationships in our life. Lord, if there is a marriage couple having issues, Lord, I pray that you remind them that they can't fix it on their own. But if they look towards you, you will get them through it. And you will change them to what needs to be done. Lord, if there's relationships with maybe children or parents, whatever be the case, whatever age, Lord, I pray that you remind them that you're the one that does all the fixing. That they just are called to love and point to Jesus. God, I pray that the same thing for people who are struggling with their jobs or out in the world with their neighbors or whatever be the case, Lord, that you remind them that you will strengthen them to be loving, forgiving, and tender-hearted to those around them so that people can know your grace and love. Lord, help us remember, Lord, that we are free, free in you. And God, if someone doesn't know you here today, I pray that today be the day that they come to know the freedom that they can have in Jesus by simply resting upon the cross, the finished works of him alone. And God, I pray too that all of us can take this message of freedom to a world that's enslaved and share the glorious freeing grace of the gospel with the world, Lord, so they too can know how how great of a Savior and lover of our soul you are. In Jesus' name, amen.